0: This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you for pressing play today. I am so excited that you are here listening and I am so excited for this conversation that we're about to have because it is alarming and eye-opening and informative and all of the things all in one. Today we are talking about sugar and this is going to be part 1 of a two-part series on sugar and sugar addiction. So today's focus is going to be all around what sugar does to our bodies and what some of the symptoms that you might be having, how they're related to sugar and sugar in your diet. And then the next episode is going to be about sugar addiction part of it and how to overcome some of that and what in the world to do if you feel like you do have sugar addiction and kind of different ways of looking at the addiction part of sugar and, you know, how to work through that. So today let's get started and talk a little bit about how big of an impact sugar has in our diet. 40% of the American, of the average American's daily calorie intake comes from added sugar and empty calories. 40%. So almost half of what you eat has some form of added sugar and the calories uh, come from added sugar or just empty kind of junk food type of calories. And that's coming from the American Diabetes Association. So they've, they've studied this extensively and that's the stats that they had. If you look at a survey that was given to 15,000 Americans it found that the average person consumes 82 grams of added sugar per day. So 82 grams. So to put that into context, that's about like two regular cans of soda or of of Coke. Um, So that's about two, maybe a little bit more. Um, And that's what the average American consumes on a typical day. Another survey, though, found that that number is actually closer to 126 grams daily. And that's from the Diabetes Council. why do you think that there would be such a discrepancy? So between 82 grams and 126 grams of added sugar a day is the uh, the average American's diet. Why do you think there'd be such a difference in those numbers? That's a huge difference. It's because that it's really, really hard to know how much sugar you're actually consuming is really hard to know because it's hidden in so many things that uh, when they're surveying these Americans, usually when they survey anybody about their food intake, it's a dietary recall. And dietary recalls are notoriously inaccurate because can you remember what you had for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, drinks, all that, you know, two days ago? Probably not. So it's going off of the memory power of whoever's taking the survey. So sometimes they're accurate and sometimes they're not. It's just not really truly reliable. So that's why there's a a discrepancy between the numbers is because it's really hard for Americans to know exactly how much they're having in a day. Um, We actually lead, America actually leads the world in sugar consumption per capita. I don't know if anybody is truly shocked at that, but that's a stat that I found also by the Diabetes Council. Uh, That, uh, yeah, it's we're leading the world in sugar consumption. And that just shows how big of a problem it is. So if you look at the average American, again, these are all estimates and on average and all of that, but it's estimated that we're having 152 pounds of sugar per person per year. And again that is leading the world in consumption and i think the second runner-up was like germany and they weren't weren't even close to us like we are yeah americans number one i mean it's uh, we're we're intaking a lot a lot a lot of sugar so 152 pounds of sugar that's 30 of those five pound bags of sugar that you see in the grocery store 30 of them on average that every single person is consuming per year so that just kind of hopefully paints a picture of how big of a problem sugar is. And the the biggest source of sugar in all of our diets comes from drinks, sugary drinks. Sodas, juices, sweet teas, lemonades, all of those things are a, a huge source of sugar in our diets. So you can kind of hopefully get a little bit of an understanding um, around that. So let's talk a little bit about what is sugar. I mean, if you're thinking like, well, duh, it's that white stuff that's delicious and it's in the baking aisle. Like, yes, it is. But when we're talking about we're going to look at things from our body's perspective and cellular level and um, what it actually is. So in its simplest form, sugar is a molecule. Table sugar is what's called glucose, which is a monosaccharide, and fructose, well, you're probably familiar with fructose, it's kind of notoriously thought of as fruit sugar. So sucrose is table sugar, that's the stuff that you buy in the grocery store. Sucrose is a mixture of a glucose molecule and a fructose molecule. So that's all it is, is a fructose and a glucose. Then you have things like lactose, which is the milk sugar that's uh, different forms of saccharides bound together, a galactose and a glucose molecule and all that. Then you have the polysaccharides and all. We won't get into all that chemistry. Um, If you're curious about it, I'd be happy to go through it. But basically just know that the sugar molecule is or the sugar sugar is just a glucose and a fructose molecule stuck together. So let's talk about how it's digested and broken down in our body super, super, super quick. So we eat sugar it gets broken down in the digestive tract into glucose. Remember, it's a fructose and a glucose molecule stuck together. So the digestive tract and all the enzymes and all all the sweet goodness of our digestive system basically breaks apart the glucose and the fructose molecule. So now you have two molecules, a glucose molecule and a fructose molecule. The fructose molecule goes to the liver, which we will talk about in a second, and the glucose molecule then goes into the bloodstream, which is then transported to every cell in the body. Every cell in our body requires glucose to produce energy and to function. And, and I don't want you to start thinking like, okay, cool, I need I need tons of sugar to help my cells. No, that's not what we're getting at here. Um, but the body actually can sense that glucose in the bloodstream has risen. And so it will release insulin. Insulin, I'm sure you've heard of that. It's, it's notoriously thought of with diabetes. And, and insulin is actually... Valuable. We need it. If you did not have insulin in your body, you would die. And that is because insulin helps pull the glucose from the bloodstream into the cell. This The glucose cannot get into your cell without insulin. It's like the key to the cell. It lets glucose in. So when insulin pulls the glucose from the bloodstream into the cell it's no longer in the bloodstream. So the bloodstream, the glucose in the bloodstream lowers. And then once the bloodstream glucose levels lower, then the insulin is, uh, you know, they reduce and they go back to normal and all the levels regulate and homeostasis happens and all of that. So that's kind of a super simple way of, of explaining how we digest glucose and how it gets to where it needs to go. Um, but let's talk about how excess sugar in our body can impact some of our body systems. So let's start with your brain and your mood. So when we eat sugar, our brains get a huge surge of dopamine or that feel good chemical. Whole foods like fruits and veggies don't cause as much of a dopamine hit, so we don't crave those as much. Again, we will be talking about more of the craving and the, the sugar addiction part of it in the next episode, but I'm just kind of setting the stage so you have a, some basic understanding of what's what we're talking about. So your brain starts to need more and more sugar to get that same feeling of pleasure. So cravings can go up. It can also go up when the dopamine levels start to decline, which can cause those intense cravings for more sugar after certain meals or snacks. We've all kind of been there when we have, you know, say a pasta meal or something that's really uh, easy to digest and lots of carbohydrates and sugar in it. And then all of a sudden, maybe an hour, hour or two later, we get a craving for more sugar. It's because those dopamine levels are decreasing and our body wants more sugar. So your mood can be impacted by that as well. Higher sugar intake has actually been linked to greater risk of depression. Think about that for a minute. And there's multiple reasons for that. You have that de- decrease in dopamine and the other happy chemicals and an and imbalance of other hormones and the biggest thing, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute here, is the disruption of the gut bacteria, which has a huge connection. If anyone's ever looked into the gut-brain connection, look into that. There is a huge connection between your gut bacteria and your mood and your brain chemistry. So stress hormones are also impacted Um, When your stress hormones are elevated, you have chronic low-grade inflammation, which leads to elevated cortisol, and that impacts your glucose and your insulin. Again, I will do a whole podcast episode on stress hormones and cortisol and glucose, um, but that is just kind of a a placeholder for now. So let's talk a little bit about your heart. So a lot of times we don't connect heart health with sugar. We think more sodium. Um, You can go back to episode, I think it was five, four or five when I talk about uh, dietary contributions to high blood pressure. Sugar is one of them. Spoiler alert, I talk about that. Um, So a byproduct, um, or well, I should back up and say eating excess sugar releases that insulin, of course, as we know. Um, When when it happens every now and then, it's not a big deal. When it happens constantly, because we have a steady stream of sugar coming into our bodies throughout the day in the form of added sweeteners and coffee and sodas and foods and snacks and candy and all of that stuff, we have insulin in our body at all times because the body's trying to get rid of all this glucose in our bloodstream, so it needs the insulin. So when insulin is always in our system, it's very inflammatory very inflammatory and extra insulin can cause inflammation in the vessels in the blood vessels which can definitely lead to some damage and inflammation and and issues there which can then lead to anytime there's inflammation in your blood vessels that can lead to heart disease heart failure heart attacks strokes all of that i go into that again and i think it's episode five so you can go back and listen if that's pertinent to you so speaking of inflammation let's talk about sugar and your joints so listen up for those of you with joint pain or any other kind of body aches and pains sugar causes that inflammation and inflammation is swelling and redness and and pain and when it's caused by an internal intruder like sugar uh, it's very it's almost like a systemic inflammation it's everywhere in the body because your blood is everywhere sugar in the blood is everywhere it can cause inflammation everywhere so when we're looking at um, you know inflammation, if it's a chronic thing like if you're constantly having a lot of sugary things in your diet then you're you're in the the boat of chronic inflammation because it's chronically inflaming you from the inside out which is a heightened immune response and joints are susceptible to inflammation causing pain because they're very they're weak they're the weakest part, or I shouldn't say the weakest part, but they are a source of a weak spot in our body because it's two bones coming together. It's two things coming together. It's not a solid structure. It's a hinged joint in some cases, or depending on the type of joint or or where it is, but it's, it's not a solid thing. So it's, it's definitely susceptible to inflammation and that inflammation can cause pain. So again, I want to talk about the liver too. So the liver like I said, fructose, when it, it when you have sugar, it is a glucose and a fructose molecule stuck together. The glucose goes to your bloodstream. The fructose goes to your liver. And added sugars contain high amounts of fructose. Have you heard of high fructose corn syrup? That is literally in the name. It has a high amount of fructose because fructose is sweet. And it's cheap to make. And it's easy to add to other things to heighten the sweetness of the product and when you heighten the sweetness of the product it releases more dopamine and, and you become drawn to those higher sugary sweetened things because of the release of dopamine i'm getting ahead of myself we will talk about that in the next episode but that kind of is setting the stage for you so again fructose is processed in the liver it's broken down in the liver it's the only place that fructose can be broken down is the liver and it's broken down into fat and it's stored in the liver So this, of course, can lead to what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. If you've heard of that, this is a honestly a relatively new-ish disease that is occurring in large amounts in the U.S., and they're linking it back to fructose. And what's even scarier is it used to be a disease... Fatty liver disease used to be a disease for, known for alcoholics because of the ethanol. Fructose and ethanol or alcohol follow the same pathway in the liver for processing. So the difference is uh, ethanol or, or alcohol byproducts get further processed also in the brain and fructose doesn't. So it's the same process and damage to the body, but without the buzz. You're not feeling it in, in your brain like you are with alcohol. Um, anyways, I digress. But so the effects are the same on the body. So the the liver is like trying to just get rid of all of this extra fructose and it has to store it. So you are, they're seeing now scarring of the liver, cirrhosis and transplants are becoming necessary now. This is actually something that is becoming more and more diagnosed in children. So a disease that was once for alcoholics is now... It's not uncommon to see a child diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Why do you think that is? It's because of the fructose. The fructose in children's diets. And the fructose is high in children's diets because of sodas and juices, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And sugary snacks and things sweetened with fruit juice and gummies and all of these things that we're giving our kids in high amounts. Look at cereals, look at anything with high fructose corn syrup. The average child is bombarded every day with so much fructose and it's causing issues with their liver. It also causes issues with their brain development and hormones. And I'm going to have to do a whole podcast episode on that because it's extensive, the amount of damage that's happening to our children. So um, you may be asking, well, does that mean we shouldn't have fruit? No, my friend, it does not. You should definitely still be having fruit. And here is why. When you have fruit, you bite into an apple, you have a banana, you have an orange, you have whatever the whole fruit is, you are also getting supportive nutrients and you're also getting fiber. And the fiber is what is key for processing fructose. So yes, fruits do have fructose vegetables have fructose but the amounts that are in the fruit and vegetables in its whole form plus the the fiber that it has makes it so it's not as impactful on our bodies as the straight fructose in sugars do so the the fiber in the fruit or the vegetable actually helps to bind to the fructose and flush it out when you go poop so that helps to, it doesn't go to the liver then, it goes out your digestive system. So that is why it's, it's so important. When you're juicing things, when you're giving your kids juice, thinking it's a healthy option, think again and check, check out the, the fiber amount on that juice. There's no fiber in juice, there's not. If you're having like a smoothie, that's a little bit different because you're blending up the fiber part of the fruit or the vegetable. Straight up juice has no fiber that's literally the pulp that you pull out of the the juice. That's the good stuff. That's what you need to help protect your liver. So when you're giving your kids 100% juice, like orange juice or whatever, just think about that a little bit more. How much others, how many other sources of fructose are they having? And think about everything that you see now that says sweetened with fruit juice. Is that a good thing? Let's think about that. Is it? It's probably not. So think about all the gummies. Think about all the baked goods. Think about the, the beverages, all of that that's sweetened with fruit juice. Another way of saying that is sweetened with fructose. That's what, that's what that is. It's a way to make the thing that they're trying to sell sweet and pan it off or pawn it off as if it is healthy because we see the word fruit juice and we think that's got to be healthy. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's actually harming our children's livers and their brain development, and you know, not only them but us. If we're having those things, it's harming us as well. So I'm on a tangent, and I get a little fired up about fruit juice because it's it is a uh, marketing gimmick that is harming our children and it's harming ourselves. And um, again, I will I will get off my soapbox now. I'm going to jump down, um, but I wanted that the the, the talk about liver. Uh, liver health and how fructose is supported. So when you think, well, how, why would sugar in my diet impact my liver? That's how, it's because the sugar molecule remember is a glucose and a fructose molecule stuck together. That is what's being sold in the baking aisle as white sugar. And you know, that is what you were putting in their baked goods and all those things. So if you're having baked goods made with sugar or sweetened with fruit juice or sodas with sugar in it, you're still getting fructose and that's still going to your liver. So just kind of think about how much, how many sources of potential uh, sugar and fructose that you're actually getting in a day. Um, All right, off my soapbox now. So let's talk about the gut. So I get the question a lot. Um, Well, let let me step back and just say, again, sugar causes inflammation. So when we're talking about our gut, how many times have you heard the phrase leaky gut? Again, this is something that we'll for sure do a whole episode on because it's such a problem and it causes so many symptoms. But you've probably heard me use this metaphor before. When you think of your gut, your digestive tract, it goes, um, you know, you think of like a tube, like a, a hose, a garden hose. And inside that garden hose are tiny little cells that line the inner part of that hose. And when they are healthy they're stuck together with something called tight junctions. It's basically like, I don't know, it, it's not, but you can kind of think of it like glue holding together boards or, or what have you. So it's when they're healthy, they are tightly stuck together and they keep things that are supposed to be in the digestive tract in the digestive tract and they keep things that aren't supposed to be in the bloodstream out of it. So when you have inflammation, those tight junctions swell and they separate. And all of a sudden, that's when you get flare ups of different allergies or different uh, symptoms related to that is because these teeny little protein molecules from foods that we eat are seeping into the bloodstream, and they're seeping into places that they're not supposed to be. And all of that is caused or can be caused by inflammation. So then you take a step back, well, what caused my gut to be so inflamed? Well, what we're talking about today, sugar. So that's one of the sources. There's a number of sources. Again, I'll do a whole nother episode on that. But there's a number of sources. But what we're specifically talking about today is sugar. So the gut. Why? Why would an inflamed and swollen and you know irritated gut matter to anybody? Like yes, you think of poor. Um, you know, you think of poor digestion or gut health or gut uh, issues like gas, bloating, um, heartburn, that type of thing. But your gut, taking an even deeper look into it, helps to convert certain hormones, your thyroid hormones, other hormones, um, serotonin, other neurotransmitters, um, it helps to absorb nutrients. So most of your nutrients, if not the vast majority of them, are absorbed in your small intestine. So if that part of your gut is inflamed and separated and not, uh, not in a good healthy function, Some of the nutrients that you're getting aren't being absorbed, which can, of course, create a whole host of issues. Um, Your immune system is also in your gut. So if you think about it, your gut is your first line of defense when it comes to anything you ingest. So even if you're eating healthy foods, but there happens to be bacteria on, say, an apple that you just took a bite out of, your body has to defend itself against that. And the first line of defense comes from the immune system, which is in your gut. So when your gut is inflamed and irritated and swollen and angry, all of those things tend to not function as good as they should. So the uh, the bacteria in your gut, there's a population you've probably heard of by now of your gut microbiome and how important that is to Uh, keep the function of your body going and there's a balance between the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. There's bad bacteria in all of our guts. E. coli is in there like all sorts of things when um, when you take they're all they're all sorts of different components of bacteria and viruses and and um, fungi and all that stuff that are in our gut. It sounds gross but they serve a purpose and when they're kept in check and in balance it's totally fine. Um, in fact, it's necessary. So, but when things like irritation and um, sensitivities and stuff like that happen, then the bad bacteria can take over, and then you can have other issues. So, what do you think bad bacteria tends to feed off of? If you said sugar, you are right. So the sugars um are basically what the bad bacteria strive for and feed off of. So the good bacteria and other healthy things in our guts, uh, do well with fibers and stuff from vegetables and and all of that. But the bad bacteria does uh, it. It can um, overpopulate with sugar. Um, so when we have an abundance of sugar in our diets and in our drinks and all of those things, if you uh, you think about it, you're overfeeding the bad bacteria as well. And and because most people will have sugary foods and drinks in place of high fiber foods and healthy vegetables and all of that, then you're basically starving out the good bacteria, which feeds off of those things. And you're feeding the bad bacteria, which will then thrive and populate and all of that. And then you can have an imbalance pretty quickly. So um, a lot of the bad bacteria in guts are opportunistic, and they'll take over it should when given the opportunity to and that's when you can see a lot of of gut infections and gut issues and imbalances. And again, that's a whole thing. But uh, sugar definitely impacts your gut, and I'll talk uh, in a moment about um, artificial sweeteners, which is the whole other thing um, that that impacts your gut, but we'll talk about that in a second. So uh, so sugar and guts, that is definitely, definitely important, something to think about. So let's talk about stress hormones. So like I said, um, certain hormones are converted in the gut, and if the gut isn't healthy, then certain things don't get converted, which can cause uh, imbalances with hormones. Um, But because sugar causes inflammation, inflammation is an immune response. And when you're chronically under a low grade inflammatory immune response, that leads to elevated cortisol and cortisol is that fancy word, that fancy hormone that many people associate with like weight gain and all of this stuff. And it gets a bad reputation but cortisol, uh, it's, it's a, one of the adrenaline hormones. It's, or it's, not, it's, it's one of the fight or flight hormones, similar to adrenaline. So, if that is elevated constantly because of the fact that you are under a low grade inflammation from all the sugar in your diet, elevated cortisol can lead to imbalances in glucose and insulin. So, then it starts that negative cycle all, all over again. If your glucose and insulin are imbalanced, in it can cause cravings for sugar. So it's like this negative cycle that a lot of us get stuck in if we don't you know, pay attention or if we don't make some some changes. Um, let's talk about your skin, too. I thought this was this was pretty interesting. I did research on this a while ago, and I found this really interesting, especially those of us who are concerned about uh, sagging skin or wrinkles and that type of stuff. As we get older, skin is made up of collagen and elastin. You've probably heard of those terms before. Um, they're kind of like the uh, scaffolding of our skin. So it, it really helps to keep them keep our skin tight and taut and, and wrinkle-free and all of that. So a lot of things can break down the collagen and elastin in our skin, like sun damage and, and some of those things. But another big one would be sugar. Sugar actually goes in and breaks down and degrades collagen. And collagen is also found in joints. So that's another thing that sugar can impact our joints. It can degrade the collagen. But in terms of skin, if your skin is inflamed, because again, if you have this steady stream of sugar in your diet, it causes a low-grade inflammation, your skin can be affected by that, and that can cause conditions like acne, psoriasis to flare up, eczema to flare up, rosacea, all of those things that are already, your skin is already susceptible to, maybe for, for other reasons, um, but because of the inflammation from the sugar, it causes them to flare up. And then another one I wanna go over real quick because this is relevant right now. We are at the time of this recording, we're still battling a pandemic. And one of the things that has gotten a lot of information, a lot of press is immune function and specifically nutrients to help boost your immune system. One of them being vitamin C. Vitamin C is super important for your immune system. It uh, definitely, pays to get a good amount of vitamin c in your diet um, but here's an interesting fact about sugar's impact on vitamin c absorption so the cell all the cells in our body that require nutrients um, the cell has a preference for glucose always because like i said in the beginning the cell's main energy source is glucose so it will always prefer glucose over anything else And what happens with vitamin C is it takes the same uh, connection to your cell as glucose. So imagine if you will, that vitamin C (laughs) shows up to a party at the same time as glucose, and the door opens because of insulin. Insulin opens the door and is like, hey, glucose, hey, vitamin C, only one of you can come in. Come on in, glucose. Every time it will prefer glucose over vitamin C. And so what happens? vitamin C doesn't get let into the party, which means it doesn't get absorbed by the cell for use. So when you take a bunch of vitamin C, if you also have a high sugary diet, you're not absorbing most of that vitamin C. And kind of a, a another way of looking at that is vitamin C is an antioxidant. It's a super potent antioxidant, and which helps to neutralize free radicals in our body, and sugar is one of those things that are forming all of these free radicals that are causing damage to our body. And vitamin C, its role is to neutralize free radicals, but it can't be absorbed because of that specific free radical. I thought that was really interesting and a kind of a mind bender when you think about that. It's like a total catch-22. It can't neutralize it because it can't be absorbed because of the thing it's trying to neutralize. So anyways, I thought that was interesting. So that is kind of how sugar has an impact on our bodies. So hopefully when you heard some of those things, it can it kind of drew some conclusions for you. I know I breezed through that really quickly uh, and there's a lot more to discuss as far as how sugar impacts our body. We didn't even talk about like migraines or anything like that, but based on what we talked about, Um, we can kind of start drawing conclusions. Maybe you have certain symptoms that I touched on that you're like, oh, I didn't think about sugar in my diet being a cause of that, but kind of reflect back on that. And um, in the next part two episode, we're gonna go into, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about specific sugar cravings and what they actually mean. I'm also gonna talk about um, how to spot sugary sources in your diet. And I'm gonna talk about the popular question that I get about artificial sweeteners as well. Are they better for you? Are they worse for you? What do they do for you? I'm going to go over all of that. And then we're going to talk about how to a couple of tips on how to stop sugar cravings before they even start. So that will be part two uh, of this kind of sugar series on sugar addiction. Um, And again, hopefully you can take away a few things. I always like to give like an action item that you can follow. So the action item for this episode is simply look at how much sugar you're having. What, and I'm not a big fan of tracking anything, but for a day or two, take note, just start looking at labels. How much sugar are you actually getting? Are there specific sources that you could even like do without? You're like, yeah, I don't need to add sugar to my coffee. I'm good. I mean, this, this milk I'm adding is fine or whatever. Um, are there ways that you identify that are kind of the low hanging fruit that you could just remove from your diet and not even miss it? That might be a good place to start. Are there symptoms that you're having that possibly are linked to sugar? If you have questions on those, please feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to draw the connections should there be one there that, um, that you could kind of think more about. So kind of do some self-reflection. That is your takeaway, uh, your action item is to do some self-reflection on symptoms that you're having. Are they related to sugar? And how much sugar are you actually having in your diet? So thank you so much for listening. And I, I know this went a little bit longer than I had intended. But uh, please uh, pay attention to part two as well, because that will be, give you some additional answers and resources. Thank you. Bye. Hold on, wait, if you think that you need a little bit more support when it comes to your sugar habits, or your cravings specifically, I've put together a really super quick mini course all about sugar cravings and how to identify them. It's called the sugar reset, and you can find a link in the show notes below, but I wanted to point that out for anybody who feels like they want to go a little bit deeper into where some of the cravings are coming from in this course, we talk about how to identify one of the three forms of cravings that you might have when it comes to sugar and what to do when each one kind of pops up, as well as we go over a more balanced way of eating that anybody can implement. And I also include some recipes and a sample meal plan as well. So check that out if you're interested in that. It is a self-paced mini course. It has three modules with a bunch of different lessons within them. And of course, my favorite, some action tasks to put into play what you're learning. So click the link below and start right away.